it's great to be across the men and the women as well because I think you can learn a fair bit from the men and eventually at times we want to try and integrate that too as much as we can. So it's a feeling of that whole Cricket Scotland group. Welcome to the Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. And it's another packed show today with league cricket in the West finally getting underway, as well as the men's regional series. We'll have all the news from the Western Premier Division, as well as the Women's and Eastern Premier League too. We'll also be chatting to the women's head coach, Mark Coles, about Scotland's trip to Ireland. That's a really fascinating conversation, which you won't want to miss. And there was some big news off the field this week too, with the announcement of the first entrance to the ICC's 100% Cricket Future Leaders programme. 40 women from around the world were selected, including two from Scotland, the most from any associate country. Abby Aitken-Drummond will be involved in the second round of the programme, but Rosie, you're in the first. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I am delighted to be involved with that, and I've got a fantastic mentor which is uh, Will Glenwright who I've met before a couple of times and he's a familiar face within the development side of cricket around the world so I feel like I'm in really really good hands and I'm just excited we get going next week so there's some funny times for the meetings because everyone's obviously from all over the world so I'm sure there'll be a few people getting up at three in the morning <laughs> to do you know to do a, a webinar and things so um Belinda Clark's um, kind of leading that. So uh, some really exciting names on that. And just, yeah, delighted that I'm going to be part of it. Couldn't have been more thrilled to see that press release. Many congratulations again. Your work is extraordinary. And I cannot wait to hear from you and Abby about how you get on. So on with the show and our interview with Mark Coles. Rosie was unavailable for this one as she was busy with Dumfries and Galloway, as we'll hear a bit later. But it was a really frank and honest conversation about the direction of travel for what is clearly a very talented team. A lot has happened since Rose and I first interviewed him back in February. So I began by asking Mark how he settled into life in Scotland. Jake, nice to be on. Look, it's um, initially it was very cold, um, but in the last few weeks it's been beautiful weather. It's uh, absolutely blistering hot for Scotland, so I hear. Um, and it's been fantastic to be able to get around. I've been up as far as Gordonston, uh, and down last week I was down in Dumfries. So it was um, it's been fantastic to get around Scotland. <clears throat> and a lot of Scotland reminds me of New Zealand in many ways, um, with the countryside and and everything that you go through the little town. So it's been fantastic to see um, Scotland from a car, albeit, but also to um, have a look at the talent that Scotland's got below that national level, which is encouraging to see, you know, right throughout. The only place that I haven't spent a lot of time in at the moment is Glasgow because of the COVID situation down there. But I'm hoping to, to get down there within the next couple of weeks as well to see the talent down there. Yeah, nice to see them come out of level three and west of Scotland be able to enter the Women's Premier League at last. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Yeah, look look forward to see how they get on uh, next week. Um, so our first full-time women's head coach, so what are your days looking like then at the moment? A lot of travelling, as you say. Yeah, a fair bit of travelling. Look, uh, a lot of the girls have taken up the opportunity to have one-on-ones, so I start pretty early in the morning, 7.30. Some of them on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we, we have morning sessions. 
and then it's just a matter of getting out. Um, I do a little bit of work with the men as well, um, so I keep myself busy with them. They obviously train during the day. And then after five, obviously, there's quite a bit of work on with the girls finishing work, university, et cetera, et cetera, and working with them. So I'm keeping pretty busy, um, which is which is great, which is what I wanted. Uh, and it's great to be across the men and the women as well, because I think you can learn a fair bit from the men. And eventually, at times, we want to try and integrate that too as much as we can. So it's a feeling of that whole Cricket Scotland group. But um, the great thing is being able to see, uh, as I said before, some of the girls that are coming through in these performance academy um, groups, which is, you know, there is a little bit of talent around, especially uh, in that younger age group. And of course, one of the things that you've been up to is taking the uh, the side across the water for the first international games we've had for a while, the four-match series in Belfast uh, that finished in a 3-1 win for Ireland. So looking back over that, what was your your overall impression of the, the series and of, of Scotland's performance? Well, we started all right, and then we ended disastrously. So look, I, I, I think there's a lot of learnings. Obviously, it was the first game for 610 days or international cricket. That, that's not an excuse. We, we, we actually started quite well, and I, I thought we could have built on that momentum, but we just didn't bat well enough. We just didn't understand um, what we needed to do at certain times and what was required. And, and they, and they, to be fair, they came back really hard, which we talked about. We knew that they would. Um, and their best players played better than our best players. It was as simple as that. I was very pleased with Katie McGill. I thought she had a great series batting at four and doing a doing the work with the ball and, and fielded well. And I think we saw a little bit from Megan McCall as well, how she can play too. Um, Elsa Lister excites me. Uh, Catherine Fraser excites me. But then there were some uh, some players that probably didn't have a great series and, and probably didn't put up their hand as well as they could have. That game one win looked so promising. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen um, a Scotland side put in, you know, defending that low total with with such commitment in the in the field, really backing up the bowlers. That must have been really pleasing for you to see at the time. Well it shows what they can do and then it shows what they can't do. So that was that was really good. I think you saw two extremes. And I'm not saying that we fielded badly every game. I think that was an outstanding fielding effort and we bowled very, very well. And then we went down again. And the, the problem for me is, Jake, that when they when they go down, they go down badly. Um, they just don't go down a little bit. They go all the way down. And then it's very, very difficult to get back up to where you were when you started out in that first game. So it, it's just about being really mindful of the performance that if you do have a bad day, and in T20 cricket you are out of those four games, you, you know, we had a chance to win two. Um, we didn't. Uh, and they had a chance to win three and they did. Um, but you're, you're always going to get games, especially in T20 cricket, that you're probably going to lose from a difficult position. However, I, I didn't think that we were really in a strong position throughout those four games. I thought we did a great job in defending the 87 uh, or 88, whatever it was. But then from then on, we were always 30 or 40 runs short from where we should have been to put them under enough pressure to be able to win the game. So uh, and there's a lot of things that I think need working on. And I think uh, just little things like running between the wickets, running a two, you, you, you can't afford to have players that are running 7.9 or, or anything more than that. They've got to be down 6.5, six, 6.6, six, six, which is where the lower teams are in international cricket. And I say that, that's 6, 7 and 8 tip-based teams. So we need to get to that level. And if you're not at that level, then you probably can't be seen as a batter 
um, in our team because we need we need people that can scurry up and down in that middle in those middle overs in T Twenty cricket. One day cricket's a bit different, but um, you know, in cricket you're only ever running forty or fifty meters in the female game because the boundaries are only fifty five meters. So you're only running short distances, and you need to be quick over those short distances. And so that's an area that we need to work on because we're not a big strong team. Um, I think boundary hitting and putting away full tosses is probably something we need to work on because we didn't put enough uh, bad balls away that they bowled. We tended to get one or two, and our power plays were very poor at the start. Um, you can't be 13 or 14 for two after six overs. Uh, and generally speaking, I think every game that we had, our top four had gone, with the exception of one, in the first... 11 overs so that's you're going to struggle to win a game of cricket when that happens too um, so there are areas that we need to work on our fielding's better it can be better again but I think it's on the improve which is which is a positive sign you said to me recently that Scotland needs to develop a bit more of the bit more of the mongrel instinct um, as a team to be a bit more ruthless in how they go about things was it that that was a big part of the difference in Ireland between the sides rather than any particular golfing skill would you say yeah look I don't think Ireland are any better than us I think I'm and we, we sort of prove that that if you put them at any team under pressure you're gonna you, you're gonna find some cracks and we did when we we played that first game I I, I hear and I spoke to the team about this I, I, they've got all the answers the team the, you can you know when they debriefed and we only debriefed for short periods of time but when they debrief together, which I'm big on, I think it has to come from them. They had all the answers. They're just not doing it. And I think the other thing for me is that it's it, well, it's the third time I beat Ireland. That's just brilliant. Well, no, it's not really because you lost. So um, we need to be a bit hard-nosed about our approach and understand that we've got to get out of this. It's being okay. It's okay. Well, it's okay because we beat them. It's not okay because we could have played better. And we need to play better if we're going to compete with the associate nations that are above us, e.g. Thailand and Ireland are two of them that are above us. So, And we're perfectly good enough to do that. And I said this to the team, you're a good little team, very good little side, but you need to be hard on yourselves and be not so much hard, but be honest about it. Because the only person that you're competing against is the person that's looking back at you in the mirror when you brush your teeth. And I'm just not sure whether some of those players a couple of weeks ago, could honestly look at themselves in the mirror without looking away a little bit, going, oh boy, probably not. I shouldn't have done that, or I could have done that differently. And, you know, we've just got to be brutally honest with yourself. Does that mean to say that I got everything right? Absolutely not. Would I have done things differently? Some things I probably would have done differently as a coach too. So it's about getting better as a coach as well and understanding the group that you're working with, that they're not professional players. So there's lots of things that we could be doing better. I mean, I think Ireland may have snuck ahead, not by a lot, but because they do have six professional contracted cricketers, I think that has helped them, part-time albeit, but it just gives them more time on task. You know, they can do more things two or three days a week with their coach, um, whereas we're, as I said before, you know, we're battling 7.30s in the morning, 5.30s till 8, 8, 9 at night, and, and that's just the way that it is. So whether it's made them a little bit better, I don't think it's made them a lot better. I don't think the golf is that huge, but it's probably helped them a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about raising the bar of the level of expectations 
that the players should have. I mean, we spoke to to Sam Hago and Lorna Jack on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, who told us about those one percenters that you're yeah. asking them to, to to look at every time they're put on the jersey. I mean, cricket's famously a team game based on individual performances, and we saw a great example of that in the innings that Sam played for Carlton uh, last week in the in the yeah. WPL when she came on and very nearly changed the game. So does the key to Scotland's improvement lie then in how each individual takes on responsibility for themselves rather than looking to others to do it? Exactly right. And so everybody had a very clear role in the team and we went through that individually with them. Um, so every, every player knew exactly what they were doing. And I always used to make sure that I was sort of 30 minutes before everybody at breakfast. So if they wanted an opportunity to speak about the role that they were going to play during the, the, the day's play... Um, then they had that opportunity um, because I, I enjoy breakfast like everybody else. So it's quite a good time to speak to players um, so I can have extra breakfast really half an hour before everybody else, <laughs> which is great. That's why I do it. Um, but <laughs> no, but the real reason is you can catch them in the morning. So they're very clear about their role that they're about to play in a couple of hours time. Um, and so for me, not, not really anybody turned up. So that was, that was, that gave me the idea that everybody knew their job. but And that's all I want. I don't want people to in, involve themselves with the fact that they think that they should be opening the bowling, but they're not. It's not your job to bother about who's opening the bowling. You've just got to do your job when you come on to bowl. And that'll be dictated to by, by Catherine. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that that we do is, is basically you hand over the reins at, at 1 o'clock or 11 o'clock whenever we were playing over there. And what Catherine does on the field, Catherine does on the field. I, I can't interfere anymore. I'm 60 metres away anyway. So who she bowls and, and where they bowl is, is completely up to Catherine. And um, a lot of the selection is based around Catherine's thoughts as well. So, you know, at the end of the day, I want her to be able to go out there with 10 players behind her that she trusts. Because the worst thing that you can do is have some coach interfere with you and pick someone that she's not comfortable with. Because if she's not, she wants to, she'll bat them down the order and not give them a bowl. And so she has to be really comfortable with that team. And I think that, I don't know whether that's a change that they've had, but I know that, you know, the, the top coaches, female coaches and male coaches, work really closely with the captain and, and make sure that they might have a debate, say, look, I don't necessarily agree with that, um, but you've got to go with what you feel comfortable. So Catherine was a big part in the decision-making of, of the team that was selected. And I, I'm a great, as I said, I'm a great believer in that, that, that you know, she, she needs to be comfortable with the team that she goes out with. Another aspect of the performance that we've touched on already is the, is the fielding. And, and, and Sam also mentioned on the podcast about how you've challenged the side to become the best fielding unit in associate cricket. Um, how important is that? Not just how it affects each individual game, but also for the reputation of the side in the eyes of your opponents. Oh, I, I just think that you can create so much pressure on a team. And we saw that against Ireland in that first game. They they couldn't go anywhere because we were, we were onto it. We were backing up. We had that energy. We had that enthusiasm. Um, Sarah kicked brilliantly. You know, that, that was outstanding. I know that she didn't have a great tournament with the bat, but, but Sarah was outstanding in that game with the, with the gloves. Um, and it just, you, you've almost got another fielder. You know, she almost becomes two because they can't bat out of their crease because if they do, you saw what happened. I think she got three three or four stumpings in that game. Mm, yeah, four. Um, yeah, four. So, you know, that, that just put massive pressure on them. And, and yeah, it is. It, 
you can pick up so many runs in the field and on the other side of the coin, you can lose so many too. And uh, I, I was, I think we were like plus five or six for that first game. Well, that wins you the game. So I've got a sheet that I mark each individual player. And at the end of that, I think we were plus plus five or plus six for that game. So that means that you basically we saved six runs out of that 88 that we were defending. You've won the game. And that's pretty much the winning of winning of the game. I think Ireland scored 79. Add those six and they're very, very close to winning. So um, I, I'm a big believer in fielding. Uh, we got Chris Taylor in. I don't know whether the girls mentioned that, the former England fielding coach who done a, who's done a great job with them and we'll get them back um, because I think it plays a massive part in the game, as does, as I mentioned before, running twos. How many times has there been T20s where you've lost by three runs or four runs and you could have scampered back for a two? And sometimes you might be the sacrificial lamb there and get run out because that's where you're batting in the order. But So that's why I think we can make some, some runs up and running between the wickets, which we probably don't practice enough. Um, and I don't think any team really practices it, but that's a big part of it as well. And I think we just didn't bowl well enough at times. We just didn't attack the stumps well enough. Um, they hit our bad balls. We need to get better at that. That's another area, hitting bad balls for boundaries. Uh, look, it, it seems really negative, but as I said in one of the comments, uh, I think we've seen Ireland play at their best, and that's fantastic for them. We haven't seen us play at our best. We saw glimpses of us playing at our best, but we didn't see us playing at our best. Now, did Ireland have really good plans for our good players? They did, and all credit to them. Do we need to get better? Yes, we do, and I think we all agree that we can get better. And, you know, if the prices include uh, get better by 1%, then we're in the game. Um, and the fine for me, as I said, you know, was was Katie. She was a great find at batting at four, which we hadn't, I don't think she'd ever done before. And I, I think she had a really good series. And, you know, as I've said, there's a couple of youngsters in there that have got a really bright future. Mark Cole's there, a really honest appraisal of where we are and also how close we are to something really special. Um, and so our league roundup. Welcome back, Gary Heatley. Great to see you again. Good to be here, guys. Thanks very much for having me again. There's only one place to start as the WDCU leagues got underway at last. Jake, you were Uddingston to see the Western Premier Champions begin their title defence. I was, and there was no better place to begin our coverage of the Western Premier Division. Bothwell Castle Policies was in absolutely pristine condition, and Uddingston and Clydesdale, two of the real title contenders, served up a great encounter to match. Clydesdale had suffered a blow with the loss of Richie Barrington to a back spasm on the morning of the game and fielded aside with that classic blend of youth and experience. But the way everyone stepped up, particularly those younger players, was very impressive indeed. 16-year-old Owen Gould was excellent behind the stumps, taking a blinder of a catch to get rid of Harmajit Singh, uh, which gave Aaron Krishna a second wicket as Uddy slipped to 29 for four. And then 15-year-old debutant Bahadar Ezekiel bowled ex-Scotland international Ross Lyons with an absolute beauty to make it 58 for five. Ezekiel looks a great prospect, skiddy, quick, and it was a great story with which to start the season. And then the wickets continued to fall. Fergus Clark held it together with 52 not out, but with Callum Drummond taking four for 38, Uddingston could only post 137 in 34.3 overs in the end. 
They were still in the game, of course, especially with that bowling attack. But those little moments of luck just didn't go their way. Neil Alexander bowled beautifully for no reward. And Amagirl and Ross Lyons caused more than a few nerves as the chase went on. But despite those scares here and there, Clydesdale always seemed to have enough to get over the line. A uh, word for another 16-year-old, though, in Uddingston's Thomas Wilmot, who took two in two balls in his first over, and for Imran Mughal, who was making his league debut for Clydesdale after his move from East Kilbride. His experience really told at the back end of the chase when things could have got a little tricky. By the time he got out for 42, there were only four runs needed and a four-wicket win in the end. So afterwards, I spoke to the two skippers, Uddingston's Brian Clark, and first, the victorious Paddy Barber. So Paddy, many congratulations. 651 days since the last league season ended. Not a bad way to start this one. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know it was that long, but yeah, when you put it in days, it seemed, it's very long. And actually the last game we played was against Uddingston and they won the league at Titwood uh, by beating us. So um, even sweeter, I suppose, uh, to come back here and, and, and beat them on the opening day this season. On paper, a reasonably low score to chase, it seemed, but never a foregone conclusion. Yeah, no, when they were 80-odd for six, I thought if we get them for, you know, round about the 100 mark, that would be, like, chaseable, but anything like up to 150 would have been difficult. Um, so we were in the middle of that, and I thought, uh, you know, if we took this thing out to early doors, um, we'd be all right, uh, and, it, and it proved to be. Um, Sherryar, who opened, didn't get, didn't get many, but he just made sure Neil Alexander from the top end didn't get any in his 10 overs, so uh, that took this thing out of it and helped us, helped us get there. And a word for you youngsters who've had terrific days. Yeah, yeah, they've they've been amazing in the first uh, few months of the season, training-wise. Every training session, they're up for it. Very keen, uh, and Gildy's great behind the stumps, and um, Bader's just a ball of energy, and uh, he'll be chuffed to get Ross out. He's a good, great player. Um, so, yeah, great great to see youngsters doing well. Pretty disappointing. I think we've left uh, 100 runs out there, um, batted really poorly with the exception of Fergus um, in our innings. You know, no partnerships whatsoever. He's pretty much played a lone hand to, to get us to 130 odd. In fairness, I think we pulled pretty well. We, we generally do. It's probably our strongest suit. Um, there's nothing in the pitch, you know, it's flat. Flat, fast outfield. So, really disappointing. It's going to be a strange season this year. But equally, you know, you win today, you give yourself an opportunity. You look at Clydesdale sort of coming with, you know, Richie injured, and you think, hey ho, we've got a, a real good opportunity here to kind of dominate the game but I think yep got to be a few disappointed boys in there they've they've got a, a good long hard look and, and say right you know you the perfect opportunity nice sunny day nice flat wicket at home go out and, and score your runs and just never managed to do that Thomas Wilmot second innings two wickets and two balls fantastic he's only 17 you know he's um, improves with every ball he bowls almost so great to see, great to see Neil Alexander back. Neil's been injured and and really only played one other game this season. So to have him back and firing was great. And of course we've got the have a reliable Ammer and, and Ross coming in and doing what they do. And made quite a good fist of it in the end. Um, you almost want someone to put you out of your misery in a situation like that or a, a flurry of wickets to fall. But but Clydesdale dug in it. You know they've again missing Richie and missing that sort of central figure on the team so so fought it out and did well so a big big game for Uddingston next week away to Prestwick who beat Sterling by 23 runs Majid Hack scoring 52 and taking four for nine on debut 
But the performance of the day undoubtedly came at Hamilton Crescent, where Fergusley beat West of Scotland by 167 runs, thanks to 100 from Adil Gaffer, 63 from David Stafford and 83 from Timur Ahmed, who then took 5 for 20 as the West was skittled for 112. Dumfries recorded a great win over Pollock with Chris Rockwell scoring 54 and Tommy McGrath taking 4 for 19 to go along with Alan Davidson's 3 for 31. While it was a tale of two openers at Glen Park as Langside beat Greenock by 81 runs. Neil Flack carrying his bat for the home side with 87 while Zishan Khan scored the promoted and newly renamed Langside's first century. So fascinating day all round. Looking forward to next week. That press bit Uddingston match should be an absolute cracker. And so on to the Eastern Premier League, where Grange are continuing to set the pace. Gary? Yes, that's right. The Edinburgh side made it three wins out of three on Saturday. A pretty comfortable home win over winless Stuart's Melville. The wickets were shared around for Grange as they bowled the visitors out for just 94. And then Harris Carnegie opening the batting hit 57 not out as Grange won by eight wickets in, in pretty quick time. 2019 champions Forfarshire are also unbeaten after a home win of their own over Beagle. They were led by Callum Gardens 83, which took them up to 208 for nine, batting first. And then spinner Jack Hogarth took four for 24, as Meagle were all out for 124 at Fort Hill. Harriets are third in the table after they secured a comfortable win over Carlton at Goldmaker. Hayes Vandenberg scored 98 for the home side, agonisingly being run out just two, two runs short of his century. And skipper Mark Watt made 39 as they posted 254 all-out, batting first. Seymour Joe Kinghorn Gray then took the first four wickets in Carlton's reply to leave the Grange Lone men reeling, and spinner Ryan Brown finished things off with 5 for 12 in a 164-run triumph for Harriets. R.H. Christophan are fourth in the table after 104 runs and four wickets from George Munsey on his debut for them saw them see off what's when at Barnton. James Dickinson made him with 46 not out, and Bobby Taylor 35, as the home side posted 255 for eight, which looked like a good total. In reply, their seamer Ali Sadler removed Sunian's danger men, Mike Carson and Ollie Hares, and the visitors eventually lost by 68 runs. Finally, in the Eastern Premier Division on Saturday, Arroth got their first league win of the summer by defeating Stony with Dice by 155 runs, with 281 for nine, playing 126 all out at Lachlan's. After the victory, I spoke to Arroth skipper Mark Petrie. Guys were always backing themselves, just a couple of league games that we played just hasn't quite come off. So good to see it do that yesterday. Yeah, and just in terms of the sort of the bowling attack, is it did it come together quite nicely yesterday? Yeah, I mean we're, we're a bit short of um, I've seen bowling to be honest, but um we've got three really good spinners and the two the two teamers that they do have have bowled pretty well as well. So um as long as we can stay consistent then I'm not really too worried about the, the shortage of team bowlers. Um I think the kind of quality that we've got in any sort of so, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. And then, are you away to Stu are you next week? Yeah, I think the cup, the cup result against them will be irrelevant when it's next week's game. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be probably itching to kind of get a bit of revenge. But we're, we're missing a couple next week. Myself and Bryce Carnegie are both, both unavailable next week. So, um, right. there'll be opportunities for other people, which is good. Um, I'm quite happy to kind of give these opportunities to other guys and I suppose a season like this year where there's no overseas players and mm-hmm. uh, it gives opportunities to, to more guys so it'll be good Mark Petrie there and then the women's premiere continued on Sunday 
Now, here at the Cricket Scotland podcast, we are committed to bringing you on-the-spot reporting as much as we can. But we went one step further than that in the Dumfries and Galloway Royal High Storfen game. Rosie, how did you get on? <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like I organised my own weekend. Yeah, so oh, like, it was so great to just get out in the first place because this is our first game that we've had you know, for the Women's Premier League, uh, for, for the Dumfries and Galloway side. So it was just fantastic to get out and we're all pretty nervous to just kind of dust off the cobwebs. We chose to field and RHC managed to get a total of um, 132 with Dumfries and Galloway taking, taking 10 wickets. So uh, they are, I mean, just some standout performances. We had um, Kitty Levinson, again, um, you know, hit and runs. Uh, she, she scored 20. Riti Patel managed to get uh, 29. And, and Ikra managed to hit 49 not out. So just really close to her her 50 there. Then we had, just from the Dumfries and Galloway perspective, Neve Muir managed to get two wickets. Uh, Joe managed to get two wickets, Joe Williams. And, and we, we had a four for from Fiona Ramsey, who we we got on just to take the pace off a little bit because they managed they were getting a few runs uh, just from the pace of some of our bowlers. So um, Fiona came on and managed to managed to get four wickets, which was just exceptional uh, from her and, and just fantastic. And Lorna Jack obviously playing for us managed to get the fifty three, and even Muir managed to score thirty three as well. So they they took that total right up. And yeah, we just had some really good performances there, but they had one of their new Emily Oliver, who whose first game it was, um, and I think first game playing cricket managed to get a four for for RHC, which was just fantastic. Um, I, I think she she was obviously absolutely delighted with herself, just kind of pulling us down the wicket. So a big a big shout out to her. I think she gets called Ollie. So um, she smashed it four for fifteen. Great day all around, and we managed to beat their total uh, within within the 18th over, which was just fab. So, um, yeah, but look, it was, although we won, it was just a great, great game of cr- cricket all round. Superb. And that's a great story with uh, young Emily as well. Four for 15 on, on debut and uh, two for 28 for yourself, Rosie, which is all the more surprising because I've heard from at least two reliable sources, one of whom is you, that you're actually a batter this year. Yeah, right. So, uh, <laughs> so Jake, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I kept myself on, really, uh, with the bowling, and I, I was just actually just trying to find a bit of a rhythm. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely more of a batter now, and I think I say that every time I bowl a wide or a no ball, I tell everyone that I'm a batter anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I tried to keep with that, with my... my my seven not out this weekend and I'm actually really proud of that because normally I go out and, and just step off my crease and manage to get the bills taken off me by the wicketkeeper. So that didn't happen this week. So I was really proud of that. And I think, you know, baby steps and from a personal point of view, I think I think it's going to be the year for me, you know? Yeah, start, starting with a red inker is always the way to go on. And we need to we need to expand this, you know? We need to invest in like a lapel mic for you to commentate during the game and maybe a bleep machine. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think your spot's on there. I think it would be really entertaining. Maybe just my facial expressions and also just sometimes my standing around and just expecting the other fielders to get it. That that was commented on a few times. <laughs> I actually think I got more 
jip than anyone else out in that that field um as soon as i saw it and it's from you know people watching as well it's just um yeah it's, it's all round i just get everyone just decides to make fun of me you know but i'm, I'm just trying my best jake out here well next up for Dumfries and Galloway is Carlton who are looking ominous after a 107 win over George Watson's college 3 for 17 for Gareth Scott in that game while Abby Aitken Drummond hit a half century in a first wicket partnership of 95 with wife Annette lots to encourage George Watson's college too though with Emily Tucker Nina Whitaker Gabby Fontenla and others lots of talent there for which George Watson's college is rightly famed so I was along at Inverleith watching Stuart's Melville play Watsonians Grange and it turned out to be quite a thriller, a really tight game which could have gone either way but in the end fell in favour of Watsonians Grange who were cock-a-hoop to pick up their first win of the season. It was their Scotland contingent who formed the backbone of the performance with Becky Glenn, Priyanas Chatterjee and Megan McCall all contributing. And I was really impressed with Neve Robertson-Jack who I hadn't had the chance to see live before but she batted and bowled really well, particularly the former, a compact, busy sort of player who hit the ball with real authority. Watsonians Grange were put in and posted 121, by far their best total of the season, while Catherine Holland took 3 for 37 and Katie McGill 2 for 18. And then it was all in the balance. Emma Walsingham batted really well again after a half century last week on a typically Scottish sort of pitch that could catch you out with a scooter from time to time. And along with Katie McGill, she really got the innings motoring. But Stumel then lost three in three balls, which knocked them back a bit. And when Katie was caught at long on by Felicia Denouse, they were really up against it at 88 for six. Chloe Keeley and Jenny Ballantyne took it close, but the returning Scotland bowlers closed it out for a 13-run win in the end. So afterwards, I spoke to Captain Felicia as well as Neve Robertson-Jack. So Felicia, fantastic way to break the duck this season. Congratulations. Yes, thank you very much. It was an exciting game. The girls were amazing. Every single one of them, they, they batted and they bowled brilliantly. So what more can you say? It's a team effort. Cricket's a team effort. So I would believe it's like... Watsonians, Grange, win. I think it's a pretty good performance from everyone. Everybody chipped in, uh, doing little bits and pieces. I was quite happy to steer the way in the batting, keep it staying for quite a while and knock it about. It's really good to see all the younger girls coming through and chipping in as well. It's very good. How are the conditions out there for batting today? Um, I thought it was quite a nice track. I thought it was coming onto the bat quite nicely. Had to come forward, but other than that, it was pretty good. Pretty good. We're building up a great team, a great collaboration with it between the two teams and we're starting to get to know each other and to know our strengths and talking to each other more and I think that's the key, communication and enjoying the game as well because for me, you know, uh, enjoying the game is paramount. You win, you lose, but did you have fun? Because to be honest, you lose, you lose, you win, you win. It was a really good performance by their bowling unit in particular. Becky Glenn taking three for 23 and Catherine Edwards three for 26. And it was just so good to see the real delight they had at that win at the end. I'm really enjoying the Women's Premier League. It's competitive, of course. But as you said, Rosie, there is such a great atmosphere at these games. Uh, A mention here for Emily O'Neill. Youngster making her debut for Watsonians Grange. So nervous at the start, but Becky Glenn was wonderful with her. She gave her a Scotland cap to field in. And then when she came out to bat, Katie McGill was there to offer a helping hand and get her set up at the crease. And then she got a bat on her first ball from Catherine Fraser and ran a single. 
your first game of cricket and you score a run off an international spinner. It was a wonderful moment and the WPL is full of them. Do you know, the one thing with the Women's Premier League is you do have your friends on opposite sides and, and you know, when they come out to bat, you know, it's all a laugh and it's all in good nature. And, and I think it's just really nice supporting those players from other teams sometimes who are coming out to bat or who are fielding at the time or bowling. It's just, it, it, it's fab. And seeing these new players come out and be supported by regional players and Scotland players is just fantastic. So while Jake and I were catching the sun at the Women's Premier League, you were watching an extraordinary game at the Grange, Gaddy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Men's Regional Pro Series was getting underway on, on Sunday and it really did with a, with a bye. I mean, cracking, cracking weather, first of all, but then just the batting from the Eastern Knights was, was something amazing, really. Um, started off by Ollie Hares, who smashed 58 in his normal quick-fire quick fire fashion, and then opening batsman Jamie Crawley, really started getting going and he hit amazing 206 144 balls in the end which included 18 fours and 11 sixes it was just pretty amazing to pretty amazing to watch um as, as the Knights posted an, ama- an amazing 448 for nine for 50 overs against the Highlanders which is one of the you know a very big total and uh yeah he was backed up with Josh Wood made 61 mentioned Harris 58 Mark Watt made 55 um, and yeah, that was always going to be hard for the, the Highlanders to chase after a bruising first half of the game. And yeah, in the end, the Knights won that one by 314 runs, which was a, a real statement of intent from them for this, this four-team tournament that's just just got underway. Yeah, Cricket Scotland historian Neil Leach came up with an amazing stat after the match that it was the the highest total seen at Raven Place in a one-day first-team game since Grange scored 467 against St Bernard's in 1886. Extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Neil's always great for these kind of uh, stats. And I, I met him on the, the boundary edge on, on Sunday and was, was quizzing him about that. So he, he clearly went home and found that out quickly. But just an amazing score, really. I mean, you know, just pretty much going at 10, 10 and over for most of the innings. And, uh, yeah, the Highlanders, who were, you know, including a lot of experienced players, just didn't really have any answer to it. So it was a, an amazing thing to see live. And just, uh, yeah, great to see, obviously, you know, a new name in the likes of Jamie Crawley scoring the runs, Josh Wood as well, um, doing well. So there's obviously new names coming through, which is great for, for Scotland coach Shane Berger. And um, over at New Campus down in there, there was also some, some great batting going on as the Western Warriors piled on the runs against the Performance Academy. Uh, Scotland player Matt Cross hitting 203 not out as they batted first and made 377 for four, um, which in its own right is <laughs> a massive total, but just to work on the day by an even bigger total. But uh, yeah, again, for the performance carrier, that was going to be a tough, a very tough chase. But Tom Simpson batted well for 68, Chris McBride 42. But eventually they were they were all out for 199. Hamza here taking four wickets for the Warriors. So uh, yeah, the Warriors and the Knights getting off to winning starts. And yeah, for Matt Cross, there can't be any days when you score 203 and you're not the highest scorer on the day. And also for a team, score 377 and not be the highest scorer on the day. But uh, yeah, it's uh, just a great start to the pro series, and as I mentioned, just great that so many different players are putting their hands up and you know showing Shane and uh, his coaching staff like Craig Ray what what they can do. Super exciting, Gary. Um, as you say, and seeing those players coming through now as well. So, looking ahead, what's catching both of your eyes in the next coming week? Yeah, for myself, I mean, there's some games towards the tail end of the week between Scotland Day and the MCC in Edinburgh. And I'd imagine some of these fringe players, perhaps some of the ones we've mentioned and others, will again get the chance to, to show Shane and the other coaches what they're 
what they're all about and, and push for for full selection later in the later in the summer. While well, the Eastern Premier, the game of the coming weekend probably has to be second place for for sure, hosting third place Heriots on Saturday. Well, on Sunday it's the second round of the Scottish Cup, and Heriots playing against Carlton sort of catches the eye. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good games coming up. Yeah, for me it's that game between Presswick and Uddingston that we mentioned, along with Fergusley against Greenock at Meeklerigs, which I'll be watching next Saturday. And then on Sunday, uh, I'm going to Hamilton Crescent to watch West of Scotland finally take their bow in the women's premier against RHC. Really looking forward to that one too. And Rosie, big game for Dumfries and Galloway next week. Yes, we, we are taking on Carlton at Galloway at Gatehouse of Fleet. So I'm hoping that the, the journey does have an effect on them. <laughs> um, and they're all tired. Um, that would be really great for me. Um, no, but like, really excited to have them. And actually, I'm really excited to go over to Gatehouse of Fleet. Um, it's a lovely ground. If, if listeners haven't been there, um, it's within the Cali Palace. Um off the middle it's almost like the Galloway forest it's just a lovely a lovely area to be so yeah excited to go there um, and hopefully get get a high total as well Jake you know well yeah I mean we are obviously hugely impartial uh, on the podcast uh, but but very best for you uh, as you uh, go to protect that unbeaten record of course unbeaten Well, it's going to be another cracking edition next week, all told. Gary, thanks again for being here for this one. Thanks again for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. And thanks, Rosie, to you too. Thanks, Jake. And that's it from us for another week. So until next Tuesday, from Gary, Rosie and me, thanks again for listening and goodbye.